The following episode contains major plot points of movies. A spoiler warning is advised. This episode also contains topics that may be disturbing for some viewers, so viewer discretion is also advised. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Abby Normal Podcast. I am your host, Aaliyah, and with me today is the man behind the demon puppet of horror talk, Lucy Ball. With me today is Robin. Say hi, Robin. Hi, Robin. How's it going? <laughs> I'm so... Oh, you, you, can't, you can't throw that one out there and not expect me to take it. <laughs> but I'm so happy to have you on the podcast. You and I met through Discord recently in like recent months, and the whole community on there has been nothing but amazing. I mean, we meet all sorts of people. We, got to, we get to have these great horror movie conversations with other like-minded people. So why don't you tell us a bit about yourself and more about like what you do on horror talk communities? Well, there's not much to tell about me, really. That, that that's me <laughs> trying to be mysterious. Yeah, we met through uh, the uh, through a Discord group for horror creators online and horror fans and all. And uh, yeah, just for as long as I can remember, I've been trawling the the back rows of the video store for the cheapest horror movies I can lay my eyes on and it's just been a huge part of my life and it's been really cool to meet so many because I grew up in like rural North Carolina so there weren't a lot of people that were like doing that thing there and I move out to I'm in California now and there's so many people that like keep it Halloween year round Mm-hmm. That like it, it it blew me away that there that it's such a big thing and then with the advent of the internet and everything like so many people are getting into their own weird little niche things and it's made horror just blow up in the best way mm-hmm. and yeah uh, horror talk I got a little puppet he's staring down at me right now I can kind uh, of see Lu- so I can kind of yeah. see his reflection oh, in the background yeah so that's my frog but yeah Lucy's <laughs> over here chilling out but he uh. <laughs> He's a little demon puppet that uh, runs an imaginary video store that's either on Earth or in some weird pocket of hell. It's not entirely clear. But he's an outlet to uh, review lesser seen or popular horror films in a fun and interesting way. Yeah, Yeah. it's pretty well all there is about me. (laughs) Yeah, but it's really cool. And I like how, like, because I've been following you for a while on TikTok. So it's been really cool watching Lucy's evolution progress over... A couple of years. What got you started into doing the puppetry? <laughs> so funny enough, uh, the first time I got my hand in a puppet, I was in a Methodist church. Um, oh. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that way it was part of like a youth ministry. We did the children's thing with puppets, and and I think that was like the first time I used a puppet in any like real sort of sense for a congregation of I don't know thirty people, tiny little thing, <laughs> but. Yeah, so that was like my first taste of it, and you know where where I grew up in like a sort of isolated rural community. A lot of my entertainment stuff as a kid was hand me downs from my older cousins. So there were lots of Sesame Street tapes and like and all of that kind of thing. So I was just like immersed in that. Always had sort of a draw to it, and I sort of fell out of it because as I got older, I started playing music and just doing other things. And yeah, 2020 happened and everything grinded to a screeching halt. Yeah. And I decided I wanted to get back into puppetry because I wanted to, I've always wanted to find a way into making horror stuff. And I've always been into the host thing, like your Elvira's or Joe Bob Briggs or whoever. And I've always thought that was such a 
cool and interesting thing. And to be blunt, the world needs another like random white guy talking about horror movies like it needs another hole in the ozone. Mm -hmm. But I appreciate that I have like a sort of depth of knowledge for having been into it for so long. And I thought a puppet would be a fun sort of way to breach that while also keeping it a creative thing and not just like me being like, check this out. And so that's sort of how he was born. I was going to build him myself. And uh, my partner was like, I think you should probably get somebody who knows what they're doing because otherwise, you know, you've never tried before. You're not really going to like what it can be as much as somebody who knows it. Right. And yeah, the, the guy who made Lucy Mel at Freaky Farm Okay. Uh, just happened to be open for commissions, and I got a slot, and now he and I are really good friends, and he was born. There he is, yeah. Nice. And you, and I know you said recently he just had a bit of a makeover. Oh, I, it's nothing major. Okay. Um, I just I got him in 2021, I want to say, is when he showed up at uh, in the mailbox. And from having shot a bunch of different videos, and we go out to – like here in Southern California, there are so many like horror Halloween like pop up markets that mm-hmm. just happen, and a lot of them are outdoors. And just by nature of having him and using him so much for years, he, some of the white parts of him had gotten a little dingy. Right. Um, he just needed some TLC. Mm-hmm. So he got new fleece on his hands, so they're white again. His little neck fluff got washed. Uh, oh. I put some magnets in there. Um, <laughs> where I can uh, have him put his hand on his chest and just use one hand and you can put a hand on his hip so he's doing like a little sassy thing. Oh, that's so cool. Yeah, so, yeah it's, really, it's, it's really neat. Uh, but yeah, nothing, nothing too huge, just some tender love and care. Nice. I know you said you, you were, you've been into horror movies for a long time. What was your earliest introduction to the genre? I think it's Scream. That's the okay. first memory I have is because my parents were fairly young uh, when I was born and Scream was like the new hit at the video store. I think I, I can't remember what year that came out, but I couldn't have been older than like six or seven. And I remember uh, I would like sleep on a pallet of blankets <laughs> in the living room a lot of the time because I like I didn't want to like go to bed alone or I was freaked out by that whole idea. Mm hmm. And they were like, okay, you can sleep out here, but you can't watch this movie. Like, it's not for you. Mm-hmm. So I'm covered up, and I just kept peeking out from under the blanket and, like, seeing little <laughs> snips of Scream. So that's the fact. Mm-hmm. I think the first one I watched all the way through was Scream 2, like, as soon as that came out. Right. Yeah, I remember. It's not my earliest memory, but, like, when I was a kid, I couldn't really handle horror that well. But my mom's extended family would always have these like parties and get togethers and i don't know why the houses were always so segregated like you'd have dads in one room watching sports and then all the moms would be in the kitchen cooking and gossiping and then all the kids and these were like older teenagers too would be in like a bedroom or another part of the house watching a horror film and i remember just walking in at one point and it's the scene and scream it's the opening scene but the camera like zooms in closely to drew barrymore's body like hanging from the tree the tree yeah Yeah, and i'm like what the hell is happening (laughs) but yeah i remember that it's so funny i was like my mom played mortal Kombat with me for like as long as i can remember so violence and stuff like that has never affected me in like a visceral kind of way 
and horror films didn't really scare me that bad. But like, who framed Roger Rabbit when they run Judge Doom over and yeah. he like peels himself off on the ground? I had nightmares until I was sixteen years old mm-hmm. about that scene in that movie. Yeah, that's that it's, so it's creepy. So neat. What scares people is it's so different for everybody. It's great. Yeah. What's your favorite subgenre, if you don't mind my asking? God, that is a million-dollar question. It sort of flips around, um, and it feels almost like a cop-out of an answer because there's subgenres within this subgenre. But I think my like my favorite way a horror movie gets told is through like a found footage kind of lens. Um, mm-hmm. I think most of us who like grew up on the internet are really drawn to that because it has that like uncanny reality unreality thing going right. on um and then to subgenre delve further into that i'd say I, lo- I love a good ghost story I, like i love a haunting i feel like there's so many cool storytelling layers you can get into that right. like you can do the like the sort of blown up like oh it's all about unprocessed trauma that thing that everybody's doing in their movies now or right you can have a ghost be anything and it just taps into like a cultural fear for Americans of past decisions having consequences in the now that I think is like a really interesting medium for a story. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah, I really like um, slashers are my favorite. Yeah, they're, I think they're the most fun. Like, yeah. Like, and, and that's that's a thing I always like lay out to people is like every horror movie is like my child. I love all of them, and maybe there are some that I love a little more, mm-hmm. but I've got a specific reason for what I love about all of them. Like, right. slashers, you can't beat the like the special effects and, like, right. how uh, ambitious. Like, they just go for it. Whatever it is, they go for it, and right. it's so much fun to watch. Yeah, and I like, too, because I was thinking about this earlier today, and I'm like, I'm like, what is it that I like about slashers so much? And I think it's... There's so much wiggle room to play with when it comes to slasher movies, because we all know about the formula of a slasher. I mean, Cabin in the Woods kind of lays it out for you as far as like the slasher formula. But I like when directors take it and they play with it a lot. And I think in the past, I even said like the Fear Street trilogies are probably the most creative I've ever seen somebody tackle a slasher series. And it's it's so cool. And I'm hoping that when when the strike ends, I will be able to talk a bit about it more in depth. But that's the type of movie that like comes to mind when I think of directors who take slashers and they really play with it, and it works out well. Yeah, totally. And <laughs> you know, there's like when you talk about a slasher, because yeah, every type of story has a formula. That's just how like storytelling works. Mm-hmm. But it, but slashers get pointed at as being formulaic, really hard. And a lot of people, you know, credit Scream with being the thing that showed you you can play around with the formula and make that, like, have people be aware of it. But there's so many, like, older movies than that that do it. I think, like, uh, Pieces is, like, a a bonkers 80s slasher movie. It's, like, really cheap. It takes place on a college. There's a lot of yada yada about it, but it sort of does that same thing where it's like, okay, here's all these types of characters you expect to see. And here's it playing out in the way you expect to see, but with like a little wink and a nod. Right. That's one you don't really get with other horror subgenres is that self-aware sense of humor. No one else, no other types really do that in the same way. Yeah. I think that's why everybody likes Scream so much is because it does that. 
it not only like pokes a little bit of fun at itself for being like a slasher movie, but it also kind of takes itself seriously in the same breath. Yeah, it, it, it takes that like that sense of humor to poke fun at like, oh, here's a stupid slasher movie <laughs> thing that's carried out because like, guess what? Our guy really likes slasher movies or whatever. Like they take that and where I've seen movies that like take that and beat it into the ground to the detriment of the movie, like urban legend. Mm-hmm. Um, is like the first thing that comes to mind where it's a cool concept that they like are too cynical about and Scream has this really cool way where it it plays with itself and makes fun of itself but it also like elevates itself to be like but we're like we're still mean in business you know, right. even though we're exploring what the genre is we, we mean it yeah and I think it's so interesting too with the franchise is like how every movie breaks down like what it represents so like with the first you have the original then you have a sequel then you have a trilogy and then you have a remake which is my favorite I love remakes so I'm curious to try to think about what this next Scream movie is going to be because now we've what what did they tackle in the most recent one what are they like Uh, the most recent one was like it was sort of retreading Scream 2 in a lot of ways. Yeah. So it, where where 5 was all about reboots. Mm-hmm. And not quite remake, but not quite a new thing either. Yeah. Like, that's what that one was all about. And then Scream 6 was about the requel. I think. Yeah, like, like a remade sequel sort of thing. Yeah, and yeah. You know, it would be a whole other episode of the podcast talking about the ways Scream 6 is like Scream 2. But I was really entertained to yeah. so, like watch the movie and be like, oh, oh, oh. Right. And especially when we heard that I think Christopher Landon's going to be directing this next one. And he yeah. he directed Freaky and a couple other like almost horror comedies. I'm I, I'm curious to see if that's how he's going to tackle this next Scream movie. I want him to bring the camp so bad. Yes. Because Freaky was so much better than I expected it to be. Because I thought it was just going to be a fun, goofy, slasher comedy thing. And it was that, but it was a really good execution. Haha, <laughs> execution. Of that. <laughs> yeah. I'm really excited to see what he does. And I didn't know that he's actually the son of Michael Landon. I didn't know that. I didn't until just now. Yeah. <laughs> I can thank the guys from Mostly Horror Podcasts for that because they interviewed him uh, in one of their previous episodes. And they're like, your father's Michael Landon, right? He's like, yeah, that's my dad. And I'm like, <laughs> sure enough. did not know that. So how are we categorizing Terrifier then? Should we say it's a slasher or body horror? So if I can channel my last video store on Earth <laughs> moment here. So I... I think, like, for me, I I call it, um, like, this and movies like this, I, ca- I call them throwback slashers. Okay. Because it is self-aware, right? Like, it knows what it's doing, but it's not meta. It's not deconstructing a slasher movie. It's not doing any of the things you commonly see, like, a modern slasher do or, like, a scream. Like, you don't see any of that kind of stuff in there. It's just, like, unadulterated 80s Blood, guts, and ass, as far as the eye can see. Uh, but jacked up to 11 because we're in the 2020s now. And, you, and right. you, can't, you can't be tame. you got to really give it to them. So, yeah, I, I, it's like this one, uh, Hatchet, is another one that I, I, I throw in the throwback slasher camp. Laid to Rest is another one that's sort of like that. But, yeah, I think it does tread in this, like, 
body horror e kind of zone because it's so outrageous <laughs> with the <laughs> things that you see happen to a human body in this movie. Right. But and and just for me, like I think the inclusion of like an icon character, a singular prey character, like I think all those little things add up to make it more slasher forward than body horror. Because when I think of body horror, even slasher movies that like lean into the body thing, like Laid to Rest, going to keep talking about that one. But <laughs> the, it, it doesn't feel like body horror or whatever to me. And it's, who cares? It's a, a meaningless <laughs> box we slap on stuff. But when I think of body horror, I think more like Videodrome or Zoo on Blanket, like even a human centipede or something. Yeah. Stuff where it's not necessarily like this character who exists to be a beast of prey Mm -hmm. and this character or characters that are trying to escape that beast of prey that just puts it there even if it's super grotesque or anything right and it's such an odd movie too like i said i watched it three times since we decided on bless your heart yeah (laughs) because i'm like i've it when we covered Train to Busan last week, I even said, I'm like, this movie came out in 2016 and I slept on it for so long. And Terrifier was another movie where I was just like, am I in a rush to like watch it or can I hold off on it for a while? And then when I watched it and I'm like, I probably could have held off on it. But I'm like, I watched it three times because I'm like, I'm just trying to understand like what, what is the point? It almost feels like... I don't want to say it's a senseless slasher, but when you when you have a character like Art the Clown, who kind of like in a Michael Myers sense, doesn't talk, just kills for the enjoyment of killing, but doesn't have any like, I don't know, it just seems like, I, I don't know why I kept watching it. I'm like, I'm trying to figure out so much what this movie means to me. <laughs> so I would argue... Um, that it doesn't mean anything and it not meaning anything is what it means. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, I, and that's like a weird, like that's like a weird trippy thing to wrap your head around, but it's, that's, it's kind of like the movie isn't so much about the movie as it is about watching art do his thing. Right. So I don't, I, like, have you ever seen all Hallows Eve? Yes. I was just going to okay. lead into that too. Oh, awesome. Wow, yeah. we are like synced up. <laughs> nice. it, it, it really, it, it does feel very much like All Hallows Eve comes out. People see it. The people who saw it probably dig on Art the Clown. He's like made to push t-shirts. Like the, right. the guy, I want to go on record and I'm not like a huge Terrifier fan by any metric. I'm going to sound like one because I <laughs> like a lot of what it's doing. But I'm, I'm not crazy about the movie. Mm-hmm. But I've always maintained that if it came out in the 80s, it wouldn't get any of like the flack it gets online because it's got everything that makes a Freddy adjacent to Michael Myers. It's got all of that in spades. Mm-hmm. So I think it uh, had an unfortunate reception because of mm-hmm. it being a modern movie. Yeah. But yeah. Oh, the, the All Hallows Eve thing, right, I'm, yes. I'm getting there. But it really feels like he made that and people reacted to art and he's like, okay, well, let's show him what that guy's about. Well, it's so interesting, too, because All Hallows Eve is essentially like an anthology and art is present in some way, shape or form in every story. Like, I remember there's one story that really freaked me out was the alien one. Yeah. And And just 
Well, why not? Right. And he's not even, like, Art's not a character in this subplot. He's just on a painting that this girl's boyfriend or husband has been working on but doesn't want to show her. And then just when the alien's about to get her, she grabs the sheet and pulls it down. And there's his face. And it's like, what is the significance of this character? And then so we I, get Terrifier. And I have thoughts about the significance of that. Because mm-hmm. I, again, um, I won't completely derail this thing, but have you seen the second Terrifier yet? I haven't seen the second Terrifier yet, but I did watch the second All Hallows Eve. I was a little disappointed that Art wasn't present. But then again, I'm like, well... He's got his own movie, and he's his, his he's his own franchise now. He's a star now. He right. He doesn't do that. I didn't know there was an All Hallows Eve too. I've got to check that yeah. out. Yeah, I mean, it's just... Yeah, interesting. It's interesting because, I mean, it's the same concept. It's an anthology. It's just, it's these different short stories that in some way are sort of tied together. And I think what I liked more was about the... It's like, you know how, like, in Creepshow... You had all the little stories, but then you always centered back to Tom Atkins, and I think it's Joe Hill, like a young, young Joe Hill. Yeah, the, uh, the framing narrative. <clears throat> there, right. Yeah. The framing narrative in All Hallows Eve 2 was probably the best. And it's... Interesting. Yeah, it's this woman watching... I don't know if it's her nephew or her friend's son, but I think he finds like a VHS tape in his trick-or-treat Whoa, bag. I- so I know this framing narrative. I've yeah. seen this. I just didn't remember. <laughs> <laughs> but it's the same framing narrative almost in the first one. But this one is like a little boy finds a VHS tape in his trick-or-treat bag. And he watches all the weird stories on it. And it's... The horrible visions there. Right. I'm like, this is such a weird franchise. But I mean, the first one was really good. The first All Hallows Eve was really good. But then that spawns Terrifier, which is the movie we're talking about today. And I'm very interested because, I mean, Terrifier is an independent film, was put out in 2018, and like I said, it's already become its own franchise in a way where Art the Clown is now this, like, iconic slasher character that a lot of people love. And I feel like in his his own way, he's got a little bit more personality than the other slashers, like you mentioned, like Michael, Jason. I mean, he's comedic like Freddy, but there's no dialogue, which is what I think makes him more special. That's sort of related, kind of related, as I'm sure we'll probably get into this again later. But that <laughs> David Howard Thornton, the guy who plays Art, mm-hmm. is like a trained mind. Yes. Um, and him having that background. I've got Terrifier playing in the background right now. <laughs> and as I said, he's a trained mind. Art's going like, oh, so yeah, it was just too good. I love but, the facial expressions. I mean, that's probably yeah. like the one thing I like is that he had like, because he's a trained silent actor in mime, it really works to his advantage to play this sort of character. He brings a, a real clownishness to a clown instead of just being like murder juggalo number four or right. whatever. He's like a clown clown that's going to tear right. your arms off. Right. And that brings that character to like a whole new place. That I think any scary clown movie wants. Right. Uh, and nobody really gets except Terrifier. Right. I'm going to say this is a good starting point then to jump into the Terrifier review portion of the That's episode. <laughs> All right. So Terrifier was, like I said, was released on March 15th, 2018. And it, it also says it was released in October 16 in Telluride. 
Telluride. I don't know if I'm pronouncing that correctly, but it almost sounds like it's a film festival. Yeah, I don't know. But it has a runtime of an hour and 26 minutes and was written and directed by Damien Leone, who I've never heard of before. This and All Hallows Eve are like pretty well all he's done. You know, and not to any detriment to him, but these are his things. Like mm-hmm. that's kind of, he blew onto the scene with these and who knows where he's going to go from here. Right. And it was produced by Epic Pictures Group, which I believe is an independent company. But it was distributed by Dread Central, which I do know is an independent company. And it's based on the short film Terrifier from 2011. But like we said, it's also derived from the All Hallows Eve film. And like we said, it stars David Howard Thornton as Art the Clown, Jenna Cannell as Tara Hayes, Samantha Scafidi, I believe is her last name. Yeah, I think you got that there, yeah. As Victoria Hayes, uh, Catherine Corcoran as Dawn, and Matt McAllister as Mike the Janitor. It's a very short cast of people. But like you said before, um, actually David Howard Thornton was the sixth person to audition for Art the Clown. And during the audition, he began miming, tasting his beheaded victim's blood, but then like added salt to improve its flavor. Thornton's miming skill, skills is what won him the role. God, I love actors. Yeah. I just love that type of person. It's like, you know what I bet no one else did? Give a little... Salt. Like, yeah. And then a casting director is like, baby, that's my guy. Like, I, I just love, like, what that interaction must have been like. I would kill to be a fly. Oh, that was so cool, though. And David Howard Thornton describes art as, quote, an evil Mr. Bean. He he was also inspired by other silent and physical actors such as Charlie Chaplin, Buster Keaton, Lon Chaney, Doug Jones, and Jim Carrey. I have no idea who Buster Keaton is. So I'm so glad you said that. Oh my god. So, well, and uh, before we before I, I give you old Hollywood about Buster Keaton, I think a lot of those are a stretch. <laughs> like the Lon Chaney, you're in a horror movie, I guess. There's and he's he distorts his face a lot, okay. But Jim Carrey, I don't really see. But Charlie Chaplin and Buster Keaton, uh, when I read that, that clicked so hard. I was like, oh my god, that's exactly what he's doing. But Buster Keaton is also a really big influence on like Johnny Knoxville. He was in a bunch okay. of old westerns and like um, a bunch of soundstage movies from back in the day. If you ever see, um, there's like, it's old black and white, I can't remember the film it's in, somebody's going to have my head for that, but there's like the facade of like a barn or a saloon, and then like little cowboy, and the facade falls down, and the window frame goes around him, and like shoots dust everywhere, but that's like an old Buster Keaton stunt. He used to do, he did a lot of like really intense stunt work in these silent movies. And yeah, he's just got very bombastic body energy. And if you can think of a silent Western stunt, it's Buster Keaton. Like, okay. The guy was all over the place and was huge uh, for the physical actors. Yeah, because I, I tried looking up a picture of him because when I was reading my notes, I'm like, who is Buster Keaton? And the first picture that comes up is a side-by-side photo of him with Rami Malek, who was from Bohemian Rhapsody. And I'm like, they kind of look different, but I mean, it's not quite similar. But Doug Jones is like a big actor in the horror community in terms of like prosthetic work. Like he's, he's almost becoming the new Lon Chaney in a way as a man of a thousand faces because he's always doing that kind of work 
with prosthetics. Um, yeah, I had to Google Doug Jones. Yeah, because uh, again, I didn't know him by name. I was like, "Oh, right, the Gill Man from Hellboy." Cool, mm-hmm. got it. Well, yeah, yeah. <laughs> he's the Gill Man from Hellboy. He's Billy Butcherson. Not this dude, but the the goat guy in Pan's Labyrinth. He right? was also the Pale Man. Oh, from, okay, okay. Yeah, he yeah. was both of those characters, and he was William Butcherson from Hocus Pocus. And then most recently, thing he's in is what we do in the Shadows series. He plays the Baron Parnassus. Baron Afanas, yeah. Yeah, Afanas, yeah. yes. I, why did I say Parnassus? That's also, it's a very solid vampire name. Yeah. And Parnassus. <laughs> but yeah, that's a good show. I mean, like I said, he's he's just a very versatile actor, which is really cool. And I, I appreciate any <clears throat> actor who can, like, use their, uh, what's the word I want to use, unconventional frame or features to, like, bring something to their performance. Like, I just appreciate seeing somebody who's not, like, a supermodel cutout right. in a movie or a TV show. It's always great. Right. And then, speaking of the actors, uh, Catherine Corcoran, who plays Dawn, was filming Chuck and another horror movie during the making of this film, while Jenna Cannell, who played Tara, was also filming The Bye Bye Man. And the production had difficult time of working around their shooting schedules for these other projects in order to film their scenes together. Man. Well, at least from having to be in the Bye Bye Man, she <laughs> did get a solid cult hit out. I haven't watched it yet. <laughs> I mean, I'm, I'm being mean about it. It's mm-hmm. not like it's actively bad, but you're, you're not really missing much of anything. I mean, the only other thing I've seen her in is Renfield. <laughs> So again, I didn't even recognize her in Renfield. Yeah. But you're so right. Yeah. <laughs> I re- it was so funny too because again, mostly horror podcasts had her on their show and they couldn't get over how funny she was being in the the support group and every time Renfield shows up while she's like trying to get her words out, she's like gets so frustrated and at one point she's like, Okay, fuck Carol then. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> um. She's just like I totally one of the didn't realize that was the same actor. That is so funny. Yeah, but she's really cool. And she performed all of her own stunts in this movie. Wow, go queen. That's never I can't remember if she's the one who gets split in half or not, but No, but she also did her own stunts for that too. She Well Thank she... God they sewed her back together, I guess. <laughs> that's that's tough. Yeah, she said, because she was also interviewed on another podcast called Talk Scary to Me, and that's Daniel Harris and Scout Taylor Compton's podcast. And she was saying how, she's like, I wanted to do that. I wanted to do that scene where I would be upside down and I knew that the risk of being in that position was probably going to be harmful to my health, but we made it work. So I was like, kudos to her. Yeah, yeah. everybody loves to hang upside down for five to six hours at a time. It's <laughs> yeah. covered in liquid latex and corn syrup. It's, it's great. <laughs> I know, that scene, like, I mean, we'll get into it later on when we get to that part of the plot, but... That's such a weird scene. It's a weird way to kill someone. point for a lot of people. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Especially with like a hacksaw. I try to think of like, I mean, saw is the only other time I've seen somebody use a hacksaw to dismember somebody, but I can never imagine using a hacksaw to split somebody in half for a short amount of time. I mean, granted, it's condensed, so it's not like drawn out. But I can only imagine being Tara in that situation, sitting in the chair watching this clown saw your friend in half for probably like two hours. Yeah, that's, that's not going to be a quick process. Like, no. 
I, I can't cut through a cutlet of chicken with a, a kitchen knife in in a quick time. So I can't imagine. They, they really should have put like a SpongeBob cut in there to get you into like three hours later. Right. Is there anything you wanted to talk about before we get into the plot? I'm looking through the things I have here. And no, not really. Every Like the next things I have to say do involve the plot mm-hmm. for the listener. Robin did air quotes. <laughs> I do that too. Like every time I use air quotes, I'm like, I'm using air quotes, but. <laughs> <laughs> Monica Brown, a talk show host, interviews the survivor of a massacre that took place the previous Halloween. When Monica brings up the fact that the body of quote unquote Art the Clown, the killer behind the massacre, disappeared from the morgue and suggests that he is still alive, the woman insists that he is dead. During the broadcast, Art the Clown furiously kicks the TV. And he's watching all of this from his lair underneath these, like, underneath this building. That's clown car. <laughs> a clown car. That's <laughs> <laughs> yeah, bigger on the inside, don't you? That's how he fit them all in there. But he kicks, he kicks the TV in and he fills a garbage bag with weapons. Post-interview, Monica talks badly about the interviewee because of her appearance to her partner over the phone. The woman, overhearing Monica's conversation, attacks her and gouges out her eyes, laughing maniacally. This, this, Play. yeah, this person is, Play, yeah. this person is badly disfigured in the face. I mean, I didn't want to say it because it was, that's how it was worded on Wikipedia, but her, yeah. her face is mangled. Like, yeah, you don't come back from shit like that. Like, right. And then one little piece of behind-the-scenes facts I thought was interesting, but the director, Damien Leone, actively made Art the Clown as different from Pennywise as much as possible. So yeah, for, I have that one written down, too. I think that's so <laughs> funny. And he's like, I, I can't be Pennywise. Right. It almost reminds me of any time they do a film rendition of Joe Hill's books, they try so hard not to make it an obvious Stephen King movie. But it always so is. I'm going to detract here a little bit. Cause, so Joe Hill writes as Joe Hill to not be associated with his father, Stephen King. Mm-hmm. But he writes the most Stephen Kingy shit I've ever read that isn't from Stephen King. Like uh, when The Black Phone came out, my friends and I went and saw it. And I'm like, sleepy New England town, bunch of random kids. It's the 70s. Right. Like every, I'm like, this may as well be a Stephen King story. So funny. I know. And then to incorporate black balloons as opposed to red balloons from it. I'm like... <laughs> no, that one I didn't make a connection. That's very funny. Like, no, no, it's different. These are black balloons. Pennywise has red <laughs> balloons. Totally different clouds. Yeah. And then, like, for example, Art doesn't have hair. He's not colorful. And he doesn't speak. So much unlike Pennywise. Yeah, like getting man. that guy to shut up is the trick. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so after leaving a Halloween party, Tara and Don enc- encounter Art the Clown. He follows them into a pizza parlor and stares at Tara, making her feel uncomfortable. Soon after, he is roughly removed from the shop by the restaurant owner for smearing feces all over the bathroom. It, you know, it's it, it's a hard life out there. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. You know, sometimes... Everybody has a bad day. The girls leave the pizza parlor only to discover that one of Dawn's car tires has been slashed. Tara calls her sister Vicky to come pick them up, to which she reluctantly agrees. And she only does this because her roommate comes home with a date and then they sh- they start making out on the bed like two feet away from her. 
And I'm like, I should say, that's all it takes for you to, like, go pick up your sister. Hey, you know, it, 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 it may have been, like, a bro move. Like, I'm eating up space by being here. I should probably uh, mosey on outwards. Yeah. I, I know I've made up crazy excuses <laughs> to leave a room when friends start getting friendly. So oh. I, I get it. <laughs> So Art returns to the pizza parlor and kills and dismembers the two workers. While they wait for Vicky, Tara asks Mike, the pest control worker, if she can enter the dilapidated apartment building to use the restroom. Dawn is so funny in these moments too because she's drunk and she's not harassing, but she's like trying to be playfully annoying with some of the people like around them. Like the moment like in the pizza parlor where she, because Tara points out like, this weird guy in a clown costume keeps staring at me. And then she gets up and walks over and sits next to him. Ooh, starts taking selfies. Right. And, and he's so displeased. <laughs> mm-hmm. I love, like, how he goes from, like, making the crazy clown faces. And then as soon as she sits down next to him, he's just, like, stink face. Right. Until she leaves. It's so funny. It's so creepy. And what's really cool, too, one of the other things I have here is that so while Tara goes inside the building to use the restroom, Dawn's out in the car going through her phone, and she hears the radio playing talking about the two recent murders that happened in the pizza parlor, and an ambulance drives by the car. That was not intentional. <laughs> Happy accidents. I'm right? you, it, it, it makes films sometimes. Right. It drives past Dawn as she listens to the radio and that was unplanned. Uh, that was a real ambulance that drove by, which I think is, like, really cool. I like when things like that just happen, and then they leave it. We're like, we're just going to leave that. <laughs> yeah, like, uh, oh, Lord. I can't remember the name of the movie, but the, there's that Scorsese movie that's, like, a passion play. Mm-hmm. And at the end, uh, when, like, Jesus is being crucified or whatever, they try to zoom in on the guy who's playing Jesus. It might be Willem Dafoe. Oh. Anyway... They zoom in on whoever is playing Jesus. It's some, like, big-name actor. And there's this crazy light bloom that hits the camera on accident because the sun was setting. <laughs> and it ends up making this iconic light effect on the on the film that Scorsese was like, cool, we'll keep it. Nice. It, it translates the image well, and nobody knew it was going to do that. So I, I'd love anything like that. And I'm not sure which jack-o'-lantern they reference in this little piece, but... The jack-o'-lantern shown in the pizza parlor was CGI. Director Damien Leone said he wanted the scene to have more of a Halloween feel to it, so he added it in post-production. And I don't know if he's talking about, like, the actual pumpkin jack-o'-lantern on the counter or the guy's head that Art essentially turns into a jack-o'-lantern. Yeah, I, I think he's talking about the pumpkin one. Okay. Because that, that head looks like a piece of rubber. Right. Like, not, not derogatory, but it looks like something you can walk in there and pick up. Right. Um, and it's, so I think it's the pumpkin pumpkin one. Okay. Because, let's see, that moment was very much, like, a, almost a Michael Myers moment, especially from, like, the most recent Halloweens. I think it's Halloween 2018, mm-hmm. where he does that to one of the cops. And the pizza parlor was filmed at Andy's Deer Hills Pizzeria in Deer Park, New York which closed its doors for business in October of 2017, so about a year or two after this movie's release. Yeah, so you could have gone... They missed an opportunity. <laughs> they could have done, like, you know, a black and white pepperoni pizza or something. <laughs> oh, and then instead of putting the sauce under the cheese, you just splatter it on top. That would act... I would buy that. Like, I would go buy that right now if one of my pizza places was doing it. 
So the scene was originally meant to take place in a burger restaurant, but Damien Leone changed when he realized that both Jenna and Catherine were vegetarians. <laughs> That's pretty sweet of him. But right. I like to pretend that Damien Leone was just like, it's not Italian enough. We got to stick him <laughs> in a pizza place. It's New York. Right. I also wonder if it would have been too on the nose to have the clown in the burger joint. Right. Like jacking people up. Art abducts Dawn from her car while she waits for Tara. Inside the building, she runs into the cat lady before encountering Art, where he gives chase and stabs her leg with a scalpel. I don't know why they call this woman the cat lady. She doesn't have any cats. I, I guess because she, I, like, I wonder if they meant, like, bag lady and they couldn't think of the term and they're like, ah, cat lady, whatever. Yeah, because she, when, when you say cat lady, I immediately know which character you're talking about. So. Right. So he manages to subdue Tara with a sedative, and when she awakens bound to a chair, Art reveals Dawn, suspended upside down, and forces Tara to watch as he saws Dawn in half with a hacksaw. Tara manages to break free and beats Art with a two-by-four. <laughs> However, he produces a gun and shoots her multiple times in the face. The cat lady witnesses this and runs to Mike for help, pleading him to call the police. He dismisses her, believing she's insane, and Art stalks Mike and knocks him out with a hammer as Mike is calling his employer. The cat lady then discovers Art with her doll, and in a desperate attempt for the return of her quote-unquote child, she tries to show motherly compassion to Art by embracing him. It's such a weird, weird movie. <laughs> a weird psychosexual mommy issue thing going on here for sure. That hacksaw scene, oh, I'm just getting to the sedative thing now. Yeah, he mm -hmm. just stabbed her in the leg with the scalpel. Yeah. But, which, ow. But that hacksaw scene, that, I think that alone made a lot of people have their opinions about mm -hmm. the film. Because that, that is a really gruesome and intense, like, depiction of sexual violence that mm -hmm. you don't see often. That's yeah. like... That's some really heavy stuff, um, and whether or not you know people are going to have whatever feelings about that, and I think like I can totally understand not wanting to see something like that, mm -hmm. um, but to like blanket be like awful movie for awful people because of it, I think is a little much. But oh god, I didn't like watching it. I yeah. tell you, I did not like watching that part. Yeah, I mean, I have to wonder too. If if this were shown in a Texas Chainsaw movie, would have would it have been perceived differently? This almost seems like something that would be expected from something like Texas Chainsaw Massacre, probably because of the I almost want to say depravity of the nature of those films. Whereas this one is just it's for shock value almost. I, I totally think it is there for shock value. I think mm -hmm. most of the things that happen in a Terrifier movie are there for shock value. Mm -hmm. And it's just whether or not that's somebody's taste or not. I, I'm a big John Waters fan, so, like, shock for the sake of shock. Mm -hmm. I'm here for it, so long as you're not all the way out in Serbsky territory or whatever. I, I, can, I can appreciate when something's put in there to make the audience go, oh, shit. Mm -hmm. Like, I get that that's what they're going for. I, you could call it lazy, but, like, the movie's called Terrifier. You've got a giant grinning clown. What more do you expect it to do? Right. It's you got you to gotta meet it where it is and take it for what it is. And what it ain't is, like, an intellectual piece about something. It's 
Right. It's blood, guts, and ass, and that's what we come here for. But and where you say that, like, it wouldn't have been that much of a stink if it were in one of the Texas Chainsaws, that sort of goes into, if this came out in any other time, I think it would be a certified cult hit that everybody would be like, you haven't seen Terrifier like they are about, you know, Bimbo Bloodbath 7 or whatever, like whatever <laughs> random 80s movie that everybody loves because everybody said you have to love it. Mm-hmm. This would be in that camp if it came out then. And since it didn't, it does it it gets viewed in a different way, I think. Right. So Vicky does arrive, or she arrives to pick up Tara and Don, but is lured into the basement by Art using Don's cell phone. And the underground tunnels used in this film were part of an part of the abandoned Seaview Hospital, which was once the largest tuberculosis sanitarium in the US. These tunnels were used to transport the dead out of sight of the other patients where they were to be cremated, which I think is very, very weird. Not strange, but it is what it is. Right. I mean, if that's the vibe you were going for, sure. But, like, to to actually use it is, like, a whole other level. So in the basement, Vicky discovers Art, who uses the cat lady's scalp and breasts as a disguise. He chases Vicky out of the basement and corners her into a locker, but turns his attention to Mike's co-worker as he arrives at the building. After ambushing and decapitating him, Art continues to pursue Vicky. She manages to evade him, but stops upon finding Tara and Dawn's corpses. Art catches up to her and attacks her with a cat of nine tails made of human hair and metal pieces. Love that, yeah. <laughs> you know, it's it's so weird. There's like, of all the horrible stuff that the movie subjects you to, something about a whip made out of human hair gives me the ick. Yeah. Like, I, I don't know why that's the thing that I'm like, ew, about, mm-hmm. but it so is. That is nasty. Don't touch me with that. Oh, it kind of reminds me a bit of like in Barbarian, where the mother has that baby like the huge ass baby bottle with the hair stuck to uh uh oh so gross you and my friend got um like promotional packs for the movie yeah and it came with like a water bottle that looked like that and it had hair printed all on it (laughs) i hated looking (laughs) at it it's so nasty i know and he was like oh my god it's hair and then he starts gagging and (laughs) And that's why you put justin long in your horror movie right there yep but um, something I wanted to sort of touch back on with this, in that hacksaw scene where he pulls out a gun, that is so scary to me. Like, mm-hmm. I know a lot of people, when you have a slasher character pull a gun out, they're like, uh, lame. They don't do that. But I think that's terrifying. <laughs> but it, it's just so final and intense. And like a stab, you might crawl away from it. If somebody shoots you in the face, it, you're not. Like, you're not. And... Maybe it's my, like, 21st century American showing, but a gun is the scariest thing that, like, some maniac could pull out. Right. And I feel like it's so out of character for a slasher movie, because when we think slashers, we think of knives or axes or machetes or any sort of, like, object that can be used to linger death and, like, prolong yeah. it. Whereas or a just gun- cutlery in general. Right. Like, yeah. Whereas, like, a gun is so sudden and... It's just a very sudden thing where, like, it can be pulled out and triggered and be gone in a second. And it just seems so out of place for a slasher movie, which I think is why when Art pulls it out and shoots Tara, it's just so, like, you weren't expecting him to have a gun, you know, especially in that big 
garbage bag. Yeah, absolutely. Which that's on us. We should have expected him to have anything in the garbage bag. But yeah, I, I like. I can't think of a. a I'm sure there is one, um, and somebody will send you an email about it. I'm sure. <laughs> but I can't think of another slasher or slasher movie that's not like a crime thriller where the murderer just pulls a piece out. Except for like Scream, the new right. one, where you know Ghostface gets the gauge in the bodega or whatever. But like, mm-hmm. those are the two I can think of. Any anything else is like a crime thriller where it's not about the slasher thing. So I do remember seeing him pull the gun out for the first time and be like, oh, he means business, business. Like, it it puts it into, like, a level of reality, even for something this outrageous. Right. So Mike, having recovered, arrives and renders Art unconscious. Mike flees with Vicky and calls 911. Art comes to and overpowers Mike and then kills him. I can't remember exactly. I think he, like, takes, like, an oil drum and, like, bashes his head in. Yeah, I just got past that part. Let me see okay. here because I saw Mike fighting him. Yeah, because I remember it being, oh, there it is. Yeah, he straight up hits him with, like, a not an oil drum, but, oh, it's his pesticide thing. Oh, okay. Like the yeah, pesticide just, can. Yeah, the, the pump thing. He just... Knocks him in the noggin a few good times with it. Okay. So Vicky hides in a garage, but Art rams through the door and runs her over with the pest control truck and incapacitates her. As she lies unconscious, Art begins to eat her face. When the police finally arrive, Art shoots himself in the mouth before he can be apprehended, and the officers discover Vicky is still alive. Art's body is taken to a morgue along with the bodies of his deceased victims. And when the medical examiner unzips Art's body bag, Art comes back to life and kills him. One that year- shot of Art in the body bag is so scary. <laughs> I know. It it's creepy. I know. It's so... And I, there's something about the way when that happens, when he unzips the bag and just looks at him and then the lights start to flicker... And he just springs back up. There's something very, again, Michael Myers-esque about it. Because no matter how many times they kill Michael Myers in these movies, he always just pops back up. Yeah, it's like The Undertaker. You can knock him down, but he's going to just sit straight up again. Yeah. So one year later, Vicky is released from the hospital after rehabilitation from her injuries inflicted by Art. She is revealed to be the severely disfigured woman from the film's opening scene, and thus the events of the entire movie took place that previous year, which I didn't realize that after, like, the first two times of watching it. Yeah, I didn't make that connection until having seen the second one. Mm-hmm. Um, they they make a sort of reference to that going on. It, it makes a really nice okay. time. You that's, that's all I'll really say since you haven't seen that one yet. But okay. it, it, it holds together really well. It's a cool companion piece. Okay. But yeah, the first time I saw this, I did not pick that up. As, as yeah. well. I was like, okay. Yeah, and I don't know why it didn't click after the first couple times. I think it was just me thinking like, oh, he just does this to every one of his surviving victims. He just eats their faces. But apparently, no, that was her in the beginning too. Yeah, and I think also by the time I had finished this, I was just so tired. Mm-hmm. I was like, you've, you've put me through a lot, movie. Don't, you've put me through a lot and a thing that i've noticed about i guess you can just call it the terrifier franchise at this point but a thing i've noticed about it is they really like to plant seeds for a larger idea Mm -hmm. 
and then do nothing with them. It happens a lot in this one with all the stuff with the cat lady and the baby and like art needing to be mothered. If that were any other slasher movie, there would be some expository dialogue, either expository dialogue between a character who knows art and one of our survivors or the survivor finds a journal or an audio log or whatever right. that like contextualizes that moment. You don't get that here. There's a lot of that in Terrifier 2 where it looks like, oh, they're they're building lore, they'll build lore, and then they just never do anything with it. Maybe it all comes together in Terrifier 3, coming out in 2020, whenever. But I think it's next year, right? I, I think so, yeah. Okay. And then I have one piece of behind-the-scenes info before I wrap up the plot. But when asked during an interview in April 2023 if there were any criticisms from his film that surprised him, Damien Leone said, quote, I get constantly accused of being misogynistic. Of course, today it's inevitable. What really shocked me was, and then in brackets he says, being called transphobic based on the scene where Art skins and wears the woman's hair and breast. It makes me laugh because it couldn't be any further away from what I am, raised by all women and everything. It's so funny to me. I think I'm just so comfortable, in brackets again, tackling sexual violence because I was raised by all women that I don't think about those things when I'm doing it. I don't think I'm offending. I'm not trying to offend. So there's really nothing I am not afraid to show. End quote. Uh, You can tell... That shit cut him deep because mm-hmm. he went on a whole tirade about it. But sort of, I, I get what he's trying to say there, mm-hmm. but it's very defensive. Yeah. I think there's a much better way to get the spirit of what he's trying to communicate there without being that way. About right. It. I mean, I feel like, too, if, if he had just said it wasn't my intention to offend people, but to make creative creative decisions in the horror genre to push the envelope of what he is capable of putting out there, I can understand that. But then to double down and then make it seem like he's not misogynistic because he comes from this background, it just doesn't seem sincere. Yeah, to, to so quickly and twice be mm-hmm. like, well, I was raised by all women, so like I'm incapable of being misogynistic because like I just get it, you know, I just so get it. Like, that's how it comes across. Mm -hmm. I don't necessarily think that's what he means. I think he more means having, like, a strong female presence in his development makes him more... See, I don't even know how to say it, but makes him more... knows that that kind of thing happens. You know, Mm -hmm. violence against women is, like, such a severe thing, and a lot of men will be like, that's ridiculous. Nobody is like that. You're blah, 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 blah. And I think that's what he's trying to get at, is that he's coming from some kind of place of experience, even if it's secondhand experience. He's coming from a place where he, like, knows that this kind of thing is a reality. But I don't know. I, I just don't think he needed to do all of that. About right. it. I think he just could have been. And maybe this is me being, like, an asshole. Like, somebody being like, wow, this is such a misogynistic movie. And you're like, what do you think the murder clown is going to be nice and concerned about whether or not he's being misogynist. I'm going to tear your legs off, but I won't be misogynistic about it. That's too far. Which is a funny joke for a horror comedy. But I feel like there's a point where you're splitting hairs, and if this is misogynistic, then so is every other slasher movie. Right. And you could argue that they are. And And that's totally valid, because it's all about like targeting women specifically. That's what the whole thing is made off of. 
Right. But apart from the extremity, I don't think there's anything done here that hasn't been done before or worse in more beloved slasher movies that people don't throw a bunch of claims about the director being misogynistic. Right. And I mean, yeah, it's like we said, I mean, if he had just said from a creative standpoint, this was the direction I went with, I would have been fine with that. But he, again, he, the way he responded and doubled down was like, that was so unnecessary. Yeah, it, it feels like you got caught with your hand in the cookie jar. You're right. Like, what? I, no, I would never. I'm actually, uh, I have diabetes, so I would never even eat a cookie. That's ridiculous. No, it's not even that he has diabetes. It's I was raised by people who are diabetic, so I wouldn't even eat a cookie because I just understand. I'm coming to this from a different place. It, it yeah, it's it's not a good look for him. It's really not. <laughs> I know. It's like saying for me, I grew up like my grandparents' house, and suddenly I have a penchant for killing old people. But like that's not even like <laughs> yeah. that, that. That's just a weird way of like defending yourself and doubling down on the accusations, and it's. Like, we, we talked about it before, too. Like, when celebrities or filmmakers, when they make certain decisions that reflect their characters as people, what's the best way to approach it? And I think this way of approaching it was not the best way. That's <laughs> nah, not it, yeah. Because um, cause you, you say that thing about, oh, I grew up with my grandparents. So, like, and I could even see, because I could see making that argument for Terrifier being I don't know what his background is, but where he's like, I was raised by all women. I don't know if that just means, like, no father figure or if his mom's a lesbian. I don't know what the situation is. Mm -hmm. But he grows up around a lot of women. He understands that violence against women is, like, a big societal problem. You Mm -hmm. make this movie about it. And I get that. And you're like, well, I made this movie because it's a thing that resonated with me. In the way, if you're raised by grandparents and you see how, like... The American economic system just grinds up old people and turns them into like bone dust for the machine. Mm-hmm. You make a film about that and somebody's like, wow, this is kind of ageist. And you're like, well, that's sort of the point is I'm making a statement that this is how people do things and it's bad. See, I made it scary because it's bad. Mm-hmm. So like, that's even a better answer than I, 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 I did. Well, <laughs> the thing is, I didn't intend to, if you felt I, it, 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 he's just really really buckled into that one and it's very strange yeah and I, I guess as far as the the quote goes i feel like that's all i have to say about it is that it could have been approached differently and not yeah, and defensively it, it speaks to his character a lot mm-hmm. and there was another there was another interview or like some piece where he kind of like made an ass of himself mm. um when scream five was getting it's advertising run. Uh, the trailers featured, it's from a part in the movie where they're talking about the later stab sequels. And there's like Ghostface with a flamethrower in a throwaway moment. Just like, oh, here's Ghostface with a flamethrower. Ha ha ha. And Damien Leone's all on Twitter like, we did that in Terrifier 2. That was in our trailer <laughs> first. And, and Scream is ripping me off and they're taking my <laughs> ideas. And. It's like, okay, yeah, no one in a horror movie has used a flamethrower before, bro. That defensive nature, it's just like, he answers things like this a lot. Mm -hmm. And it it tells you a lot about sort of the guy behind. Yeah. I guess to kind of talk a little bit more about the movie as like a whole, going back to what we were talking about, the difference between this being a slasher to a body horror movie, 
One of the reasons why I brought that up, and I know you and I both know Josh Sterling Bragg from Haunting Season, and he also just talked about this on one of his most recent TikToks. I believe it's Horror Chronicles is her user handle. But they compared this to like Saw, how Saw is usually considered a body horror because of the brutality in the Jigsaw games and how people become heavily mutilated in them. Whereas this movie, yes, there's a lot of body mutilation, but I think the difference between the two, and they bring this up in their interview, which I think is a good point. In Terrifier, you get the close-up shots of the brutality as it's happening. Like, even the scene where Art stabs Tara in the leg with the scalpel, like, we get close-up shots of that scalpel blade going right into her leg. I hate it. Which, yeah, it it, it makes, it's like that scene in Pet Cemetery where Gage cuts Judd's Achilles tendon. It just gives me chills, and it makes my feet yeah, squirm. Yeah, yeah. But that's what it entices you to feel. And same thing with like, oh, what's the other scene? I think where he shoots Tara in the face is another moment where you see people get shot, but you don't actually see the bullet impact, especially in facial shots like that. We don't really see it a lot on camera. Yeah, no. You see like, if it's an action movie, you see like whole trip fall. If it's a thriller, you see nothing. They just fall. Mm-hmm. More straightforward horror movie. There's some 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 blood and guts, but they they really went for that one. Yeah. Um, but yeah, and I think that camera language is another thing that like it it, does, it adds to the sort of the body end of it because it's forcing you to reckon with the mutilation of a human. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I still just feel like in the grander story or structure of the thing. That saw is a great example. There is a murderer that is sort of stalking people, like, and it's more like, here we go. A slasher movie is about the chase, mm-hmm. right? And that's what you get through all of this. It's, it's all cat and mouse. There's like three mice, and there's one really hungry cat, and one really hungry deranged cat. <laughs> and while it's like super gruesome, Mm-hmm. And there is a lot of that severe bodily mutilation. Uh, the the larger piece of it is, is she going to escape? Is she not going to escape? And I think that's the thing that, like, makes the difference. And, and like, Saw, you're never really like, wow, are they going to get out? You're like, wow, they're going to get torn to shreds. Right. So, like, I think that sort of psychological end of it is what makes me more willing to throw Terrifier into a slasher camp, mm-hmm. even though it's very gruesome and crazy with what they do to bodies right terrifier was i mean i don't want to use the word interesting because if film school has taught me anything is that interesting is not a nice word to use when critiquing stuff (laughs) but it's interesting in the way of how it was shot how it was produced how it was evolved into this franchise that's become very widely known and popular everything about it is just intriguing I guess is a better word to use. Yeah. As somebody who hasn't had any film school experience, interesting mm-hmm. is how what I say about all my favorite movies. Mm-hmm. Uh, because especially, uh, I like a lot of things that like people could call bad, but they're really interesting to me. So like I'm, I'm sucked into it and I love it. 
So I think interesting is a is a really good word for terrifier, and in, intriguing is a, a more academic one for sure. Mm-hmm. It almost makes you feel like that it's got to have something more going on, right? Like yeah. you, you look at it, it can't just be this, but like I think it is just what it is. But that's the beauty of art is like you can make it. <laughs> that's the beauty of art, <laughs> but you can make it anything because you're interpretation of it is just as much of a piece of it as the piece is and that's that's the thing about the show that we like to encourage you know and that's why i said before we start recording when it comes to our opinions it's based on how we interpret and how we feel about the movies and shows that we watch so it, it's not really coming i mean yeah it's coming from a personal place because how the movies make us feel is where we determine our opinions on and i feel like in this movie like my opinion is that it did it did what it was set out to do it was meant to shock people wow people with its brutality and it's very intriguing i i have to find out a way to watch terrifier 2 now <laughs> yeah um here's my like obligatory I swear, they gotta start paying me for this <laughs> but uh screenbox has it um and they've got a pretty generous trial thing going on and then i think their i think their monthly fee is like three or four dollars it's one of the oh. cheaper streaming services per month and they have all sorts of weird stuff on there <laughs> they've got lots of interesting movies mm-hmm. but uh, terrifier 2 is is that's where i watched it, it was on screenbox okay because I have it, I do have it on DVD, and this is the funny story about that too. I have not seen Terrifier yet, and then my husband goes out to Walmart one day, comes home with a copy of Terrifier 2 on DVD. And I'm like, <laughs> I haven't even seen the first one yet. Honestly, you can, and for anybody listening that's like, mm, you can just jump into the second one. Okay. Anything that <clears throat> relates to the first one, they explain pretty thoroughly, and that's why the movie's two hours and 20 minutes long <gasps> but no. yeah yeah it's way too long they could have left like half an hour out mm-hmm. but but yeah you can just jump right into the second one and it'll make perfect sense not that deep um, okay but i will say the second one turned me around on the first one because the first time i saw it i was like okay it's fine um it's a great movie for a halloween party turn the sound off have music playing Mm-hmm. You can look at it every 20 minutes and something gross is going to be happening. Okay. Awesome. Um, but that was really all I thought about. And then after seeing the second one, it sort of made it all click. Okay. I feel like I said everything I need to say about Terrifier. Is there anything you want to touch up on before we do our sign-off? I just got to throw it out there. Everybody okay. loves a good star or number rating. Okay. Where where would you put this? Like, what do you rank this one at? And for what reason? Are we doing five or ten stars? Whatever makes more sense to you. Okay, well... I just like to, I like to make it difficult. So, because I have Letterboxd, which is a five-star rating movie and show blog website, I would give this probably a three out of five. It... It Like I said, it did what it was set out to do, and I think it executed it pretty well for an independent, low-budget film. I don't think it quite lived up to the All Hallows' Eve. Like, All Hallows' Eve also is, like, a very independent, very low-budget anthology horror film. But I feel like it touched a lot of things for me that made me enjoy All Hallows' Eve more than I did Terrifier. So, if, like, if I were to compare the two... 
I would give All Hallows Eve probably a 4.5 and then Terrifier a 3 out of 5. I think that's reasonable. See, I'm also a Letterboxd user, so my I would I would put Terrifier at a solid 3.5 because I sort of, I reserve, like, one is like, okay, you tried, mm-hmm. and I, I didn't turn the movie off, right? <laughs> and two is like, I see the vision, but falls short in these ways. Mm-hmm. Three is average, and I would put Terrifier a little past average, because I think... Especially for the money they made it for, mm-hmm. um, like I said, that's I can't remember the exact budget off top, but it's a it's a budget film. You know, they went out and did this with like a dollar and a dream. Mm-hmm. I appreciate anybody that does that. I think that is already it's more than most people do, and I think it brought a lot of fresh blood to slasher thing because apart from terrifier i can't think of an original slasher movie that has come out in the past i'll be nice and say let's see i'd say in the past 15 years there hasn't been an original property slasher movie to stand out and make the cultural impact that terrifier did Okay. Um, and somebody could prove me wrong and I'll accept it. I think that's the first one that's completely fresh character, low budget on top of that, right out of the gates. No, There's no big name actors, no brand recognition for anything to tie to. And it's become this huge sensation. Like every time I go to a horror con or one of these pop-ups, there's a kid dressed up like Art the Clown. Oh, wow. So he he tr- he truly is this generation's Freddy Krueger mm-hmm. and Jason Voorhees <clears throat> rolled into one guy. Right. And I got to give him credit for that because a lot of people have tried to make the next iconic slasher and a lot of people have failed. Mm-hmm. So, like, I mean, Victor Crowley, that was a, sh- a swing for the fences that didn't work out. Stitches, you remember that one? That was another <laughs> clown that didn't work out. And so... I. They did something right, because this has stuck around uh, and become bigger than I think anyone expected it to. So yeah, I, I got to give it that, like, just a little past average. I want more out of it, but I totally see what they're doing and think they do a good job doing it. Would you say this is a good time to sign off for the episode? I think so. I can um, right. I can put Art the Clown out of my brain again okay. for a little bit. That's nice. Yeah. All right. Yeah, because... Now that we cover part one, we definitely have to do part two, and we will have you back on when we do that. And like you and I said, when we do part two, we can do a more deeper dive conversation on the franchise as a whole. Thinking back to All Hallows Eve and the way that the first movie had art kind of tied in into all of them, it kind of reminded me a bit of Trick or Treat and the Sam character. Yeah, and how, totally. And how he's not totally upfront in all the stories except for the last one with the school bus driver. Like he's he's represented in all of them in some way, shape, or form. Yeah, he's on the he's on the sidelines somewhere in there. He's like the right. glue holding it all in. So, is there anything that you want to tell everybody about, like what you have coming up? You know, if I had anything big planned, I totally would. If if you want to hear more uh, of my opining, you can go over to TikTok. It's at Lucy Ball. It's L U C Y underscore B A A L. Come get a membership at the last video store on Earth. We are throwing out Rex and having puppet fun. It's a lot of fun. It's movie Rex. It's horror Sesame Street shorts. It's whatever uh, I feel like making it at the time. So mm-hmm. there's that. Um, you can hit me on Twitch at the same handle. I do. I call it It Came From The Public Domain. I have guests on and 
we talk through public domain movies, sort of a mystery science theater thing. Oh, cool. Um, yeah, and as soon as I get another one of those scheduled, I'll announce it. Um, I'm working out some details with a few guests and everything, so we're, we're trying to get the next season up and running, maybe a big Halloween special. Ooh, nice. And then I know you and I are actually going to be co-hosting with Avery on her podcast in a couple months, the That's Unbound. Wrong. Yeah, the Unbound and Reround podcast, so make sure you guys go check her out. I finally caught up on all of her episodes. The only ones I haven't listened to are the ones where she reviews Grady Hendrix books because I haven't read them yet. <laughs> Trying to read those. Yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah I'm, I'm excited for that pod. Uh, I, I won't say so much, but the movies we're talking about, one of them has my favorite kill ever, ever, ever in it. So I cannot <laughs> wait. Oh, yeah. I think I still have my notes from those movies. We were it was it's a movie that we've covered before on the podcast, so I still have my notes somewhere. I might have to revamp them for that episode, but I'm looking forward to talking to you and Avery about those next month. And I got to say it's been a pleasure having you on the podcast. But thank you again for being on the podcast, Robin. It was really fun talking to you and having you on. Hey, thank you for having me. It was a blast. I'd yeah. Love to do it again. Yeah. To wrap up this week's episode, it's been another episode of the Abbey Normal Podcast. I am your host, Aaliyah. I am my guest, Robin Graves. We will talk to you next week. As always, you can find us wherever you get your podcasts. We are currently on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Amazon Music. Be sure to give us a like, subscribe, or a nice review for our podcast. It helps boost our show positively. You can also follow us on Instagram and now on TikTok.